Hello and welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. I'm David Fraser. There are four QPR fans on this podcast today and a very special guest. Um, Let me introduce the podcasters first and then I'll come on to the main reason why we're here wrapping up the season with uh, someone who you are all going to want to hear from. So alongside me is Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hi Flo. Hello, hello David. One last hurrah, one last rodeo. Something like that. Something like that. It's nice to see you talking about QPR for once, for a change, rather than Chelsea. Even if it is the women's team that you, you're you're very excited about in your capacity as a reporter. Yeah, it's been a busy week for women's football, and unfortunately for Finney, most of it involves Chelsea's women's team winning most of the trophies that are available. So unfortunately, that's going to carry on until probably about monday morning depending on how sunday night goes so just prepare yourself finney for the women's content and i will keep silent when it comes to men's champions league final it's all right i'm just gonna block it and then throw up in a pocket <laughs> well finney is uh definitely going to go into hiding if they win two champions leagues uh so <laughs> let me introduce finney finney welcome good to see uh, you that, that's no way to introduce me after that that's just wrong david okay lovely to Here lovely is. to see you on our last Not- pod Together. Likewise. It's actually our second last pod. But we'll yes, come on but I'm still sad. Um, and lastly, we have Chris Charles here. Hello. Hi, Chris. How you doing? You okay? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Now, I will introduce our guest shortly. Let me just thank the sponsor. Um, so it's Ben, I hope I pronounced this right, Ben Gilo or Ben Gilo. Uh, as an international R supporter based in New, New Jersey, USA, I've been listening to the pod for the past couple of years. And it's been a great way to stay connected to the club from afar. I'm planning on coming over for my first game in August, COVID restrictions depending. So thank you very much, Ben. Good I'll to buy him a pint. Month. If he gets over, I'll buy him a pint. Paul will buy you a pint. Our pints have been bought this evening. The beers have been sponsored by Greg Slovic. So thank you, Greg. Here's a fact um, about Greg, by the way. Sorry to put it again. I usually, <laughs> I usually meet him in the floor market at about half past seven. Because he works in the floor, he, he goes around flower markets. There you go. Right. Fellow fellow flower buyer. Um, let me introduce our guest because that's the reason why we're here. Um, and we're very grateful to have him with us to uh, dissect the season, give us his take. It's none other than QPR. I don't know if that you're called manager or head coach these days, but but the head honcho, no less. Mark Warburton. Hi, Mark. Good evening. How are you all? We're, we're very good. We're very good. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, just enjoying the first day. I set a flow earlier. Nice to have a lie-in and avoid the M25. So I'm in, I'm in a good uh, a good place right now. Well, before we get on to the serious stuff, I was going to ask you, when I came on this Zoom call, nobody will be surprised to know you were first on. You were first on before any of us. And you were talking about what holidays you're, you're trying to book. And you said, well, I wasn't sure where to book. I wasn't sure about playoffs and things like that. So what I want to know is at what point... In April or May, did you think we can go ahead and book a holiday now? No, it was really probably looking back. Birmingham was a turning point for us. When you're, when you're 1-0 up with eight to go and you lose that game 2-1, that was probably the one that hurt. And you look at it. But it's just trying to be realistic and look at it. We're on a good run. And you thought we could put five wins out of six, six wins out of seven. Then you're going to be in a good place and teams will drop points. So when you have those, those tough results, that Huddersfield at home, etc., they're the ones that tell you to go and book your summer holiday a little bit. And expectation-wise, is has this season exceeded, met, or fallen below your expectations for what it's, you thought? I'll be honest with you. I wanted to beat last year, uh, 58 last year. I wanted to beat the points total, and I, I, I wanted to get in the top 10, ideally, because then we could say we've made some good progress. Have we come 12th, 13th again, 57, 59 points? We haven't really moved forward. Yes, we lost a couple of big players, but hadn't really moved forward. So I was really keen on us building on the points total, building on the goal difference. And as I say, trying to get in and cement a top 10 place. That was our, our driving force, really. And do are you worried or concerned that this has now built expectations too high for what we should be thinking would be a good result for next season and beyond? 
a football fan, you can't follow your team. You can't be a football fan and a passionate supporter and not have aspirations and desires for the following season and, and, and hopes where you could finish up. So, of course, you get that. You get the excitement. We, we've got to, you always try and temper expectation because we know the league is so demanding and relentless. And there's some big teams, you know, Fulham come down, Chef you, you look at West Brom coming down. Big teams will miss out on going up this year. Bigger budgets than ours. But if we can keep the squad together, if we can add the one or two, then we'll be in a decent place. By that, I don't mean, all I'm saying a decent place is we want to push on from this season. That's what we have to do. So you talked about keeping the squad together. Inevitable question coming in. Um, the lone players, what chance do we have of keeping some or all of those? I, I know two are on uh, an, an agreement, but the other two particularly. Yeah, the, ob the obvious big two, in, I'm saying big two in full of respect to Geordie and Sam, big two in terms of age and experience and, you know, is, is Steph and Charlie. Uh, and we'll do everything we can. We're very respectful than ever our players. If people ask you the questions, we never want to lack ambition. Because you want to turn around and say, no, they're not going to come to QPR and, and disappoint fans. But at the same time, you don't want to raise expectations to a level that we can't meet that expectation. So all the conversations will be going on to see if it works out. There's no doubt the loans have worked out for all concerned. You know, the, the loaning club have seen their players play. The, the players have come in and, and they've suited our style of playing, embraced it and played a massive part. Uh, and as I say, we've obviously benef benefited from their quality and their contribution off the pitch. And often loans don't work out. So in this case, four loans have all worked out. So it's really positive and we'll do what we can. That's all I can say. And I hope very much we can keep as much of the squad together as possible. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, obviously I know, you know, you're working under budget restrictions, despite the Luton manager calling us big spending QPR. Yeah, I, I jump in there because I saw that comment and I was, you know, a lot of respect for the managers and the job they do. I was quite aghast at that comment as well. I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> I think we all were. So um, before the others come in, what, what, how big an impact? I'm going to start with Charlie, first of all, anyway, uh, as, as Charlie had both on and off the pitch since he came in. He's a character. I mean, firstly, you, you as fans know what Charlie's all about. You know, and we all know what the club means to Charlie. That's a very genuine relationship between himself and the club. He's obviously performed at such a high level previously for you and the fans adore him for that. Um, and him coming home, I'd never worked with him before. He's a loud character. People say he's an old-fashioned footballer, but they say that very respectfully. But he, he loves training. He loves working hard. He sets standards. Um, he's, he's not shy of telling someone when they fall below it. He doesn't mind taking the mouth for himself if he falls below it. So he, he gives and takes. But he's, he's, he's helped the young ones. You know, definitely helped the young ones. He's helped the, every single player in general in terms of his contribution. He scored goals. The Luton goal was almost, when you saw that little head at the far post, you saw a weight almost lifted off the players because they played well and not scored. And scoring goals changes everything. And suddenly we start the free flow in the scoring scoring stakes and it's a different team. So, you know, I, I really like working with him. Can't speak high enough for him as a character. He wants to do well. And QPR means so much to him. That's a very genuine relationship. Yeah, because we had Lyndon Dykes on the podcast last week. And in fact, we had Charlie at the beginning of the season and Lyndon was saying the same and how their partnerships blossom and how that Charlie is almost as excited when Lyndon scores as he, as he does when he scores himself. Yeah, it's very genuine that. And he knows that Lyndon, as a fellow striker, was suffering through that barren patch. You know, that me we always talk about the meteoric rise and where he was five years ago. You guys know all of that. But, you know, he really wanted him to score. He was working hard. And that goal at Reading, you saw Charlie's reaction. And that was magnificent. Um, he should have won that game. You know, Steph missed that chance late on and got into a really good area. And we, we, we looked good that day. But Charlie's had a really big influence on Lyndon on the team in general. Mark, I wanted to ask about where where we finish this season and how that will impact what you have to work with this summer in terms of budget and in terms of ambition in terms of backing as well i think it's i think that we, we our job flow is to show that the squad is developing the squad is moving forward That's, and i'm saying the obvious there but i hope you can see it's a bit deeper than that we have to show progress both in both individually and collectively are we getting better individuals within the team because being brutally honest they're the balance sheet items. They're the ones that, you know, at some time, look, look, look at Birey going, for example, and Bright going. They're the balance sheet items. So are we developing players individually and are we collectively playing at a higher standard than we were last year? Hence the first question about 58 to 68 points. Really important for us, Flo. And that tells the, hopefully tells the owners and the board that we're working well and progress is being made. Because at the end of the day, they're writing the checks. 
the owners write the check and this everyone talks about the financial landscape you do all the job in in your job you report on it every day about different clubs and where they sit financially but we've had no supporters for the last year and all they do at the end of every month flows write a check if not that club doesn't exist that's how important that check is so we have to show them that the money hopefully is being well spent and hopefully they, you know, the fruits of the money are showing and they're, they're maturing and, and are becoming better assets. Not to sell, better assets to produce for the club. Talk, talk a you, sorry, Finney, can I just ask, sorry, quickly. Um, you've, you've managed us now through two quite difficult periods for different reasons. One coming in with loads of in and outs and one because of COVID, which also resulted in Eze leaving and, and other movements around. So... Can we expect a slightly more stable summer than you've had to deal with previously? Yeah, Flo, I think had we had two less, less volatile summers, I might have a little bit more hair on the top of my head. I've got to be honest, it was uh, the first day we had to move on five players. <laughs> Someone like Jake, Jake Bidwell, I signed at Brentford when he was 18. I knew all about Jake, think the world of Jake Bidwell as a player and as a person, but we just couldn't afford wages for five people on that first day. We had to trim costs. Uh, and 15, I think it was the first year. And was it like 12, 13, the second year? Too many flow. But we had to do it. We had to shift players along. And the second window as well in the second season, move more players along. Yes, to lower cost, but players who I didn't see, we didn't see figuring and developing with the squad. Uh, and hence, you get the new arrivals, you know. So, yeah, I hope very much, though, that this, this uh, window is far quieter, but equally as productive for that way. Is there also a case, Mark, that you're, you're quite excited about the new training complex? Because that must make it a lot easier knowing that this is on the horizon now. And, it's, you know, we can bring in... Training facilities do have... Whatever we say, they must have an impact on who we can sign, who we can bring into the club, and what players think of the club. So how important is that going to be and how the club goes forward? Now, Paul, so it's a massive point and a great question because everyone says about the stadium, you only go there once every two weeks on a normal season, on average because you work every day at the training ground. So you look at you know, the Spurs training ground and Chelsea and Arsenal, these top training grounds, it's where these guys go to work every single day. So yeah, the, that is a really big step for the club to find. I mean, I was at the other West London club, I'm talking about Hall Farm and around the corner and QPR were gonna buy it back in 2014, I think it was, 13, 14. So it's been a long time in the planning, but it's a big step for the club. And to know that work's been undertaken, land secured and everything signed over is a really big step for QPR. Because it's been a weird one, because I think this season, I mean, I know we started poorly, you're not going to mind me saying that, because, you know, nice. it it, it's, it's on record, the results weren't great. And how, with the loans and how we turned it around, it's gone from a season of maybe we could be much better to a season of, Christ, two more games, we've been in the playoffs. So you must be happy with how it ended, because I know I am. I am happy. I mean, it's easy for any team, any player, any supporter ball, to look back and go, if only... You know, had we, had we held out of Birmingham, there's three more points there and then we shouldn't have conceded that one and blah, blah. You can do that. Anyone can do that. But I, what was my biggest frustration, and Flo will tell you from the, the media side of it, was when we were playing the Bristol City, I always refer to the Bristol City home game because we played superbly well and get beat 2-1. Not acceptable to supporters or us as players and staff. But the fact is, we, I knew we were creating chances. And had we just been a bit more ruthless prior to Christmas, then we could have been a better place. Then again, had we, had we not been so ruthless, Charlie Austin and Steph might never have happened and we might not have been where we are now. So these type of things happen for a reason. So we brought, I'm really pleased where we are at the end of the season. Delighted for the players who deserve all the credit for how hard they've worked, but just frustrated that we had such a slow start. We were we were poor for too many games. But are you, are you seriously tempted, Mark, to join the Super League? <laughs> That's a great question. Don't talk to me about Super League. I've had enough rows about that subject already, Bulls. I know it's. Uh, I'll, I'll keep my thoughts on that subject away from this conversation. Um, we we um we asked uh, our Twitter audience uh, lots of questions. Uh, who who had a question for you? And we've got a few of them coming up. But before then, I wanted to ask you about Lyndon, um, and I, who we spoke to last week. Uh, and and I suppose the turnaround in QPR season has sort of been typified by the turnaround in his season um how pleased are you for him and give us a sense of i guess what how hard he worked and what you felt he had to do and did do to end up where he is at this point if i could go back david not to go stop me if i'm rabbiting on but last last july i had a knee some knee surgery 
and I, I was watching some players and I got a phone call from Linda's agent and I, I knew, I, I thought it was out, we, were, we couldn't get him and it, and it became clear that we could get him. But I knew that we had a player that was a, a real talented sportsman and who worked really hard and he, and he played his best games when he played the best opponents, i.e. Celtic and Rangers. So when we got him, I knew what we had in terms of raw quality um, you know, that burning desire to do well, really good good guys, really affable. Everyone likes Linda very, very quickly. I've got the same feedback from the Scotland team. But he's had that really rapid rise. You know, we keep saying about five years ago on a beach, but that's where he was. I'm sure he told you that when he when he spoke to you. So he's gonna hit a, he's gonna have a plateau somewhere, you know, and everyone's saying that he got the first goals and so he's scoring goals, but they're all penalties. And he wanted that first open play goal. But as I say, then he hit that bow and patch and he got a lot of stick, which the strikers get. But Scotland is a different fishbowl as well. You know, you, up there, they can really hurt you with the media. I've got a lot of experience of what they can and can't do. And that was all new to him. Then social media hit him as well. And he was getting that abuse and he had to deal with it. So to see him work his way through, get that Reading goal and then look at the Rotherham goal, for example, touch and finish, top, top draw. We, we have a player who can keep on getting better. Delighted for him. He'll benefit from Charlie, from Steph, from Lee Wallace and Albert, the senior players, helping him. But there's a player there who wants to do well. And I honestly think if he can have a good Euros, it'd be an interesting time. But I, I was going to ask you how you felt about that. As his manager, you how does it feel that your centre-forward is quite possibly going to be lining up against England, has a really good chance of scoring against England, which I'm sure Finney will be delighted about. But how does the manager of the player feel about that because there must be pluses and minuses to it in terms of wanting to protect your player not wanting them to pick up an injury and so on yeah the, the key thing is injury when we get them back that's out of our control obviously but we have to hope you now England will be the, the best in the world at looking after the players in terms of facilities and resources and Gareth and everything so I'm not worried about that but it, it's always a fingers crossed moment but yeah, he's up against the likes of Harry Maguire so Man United captain against England the old enemy at Wembley but Lyndon's fearless. Nothing really bothers him. And I think, he'll, I think, I hope very much he relishes the opportunity. That's what I hope. I hope England wins 7-2 and Lyndon scores two goals. That's what I hope. But um, I think he's got a chance there. He's got a great stage. Got a great stage to show what he's about. Go and enjoy the moment. Prepare well. Give it everything. But, you know, to come through what he's come through this season with QPR, after that move, relocating his family, children, etc., I think he deserves so much praise and credit and I'm delighted for him to finish so strongly and I hope very much he can take that into what would be a massive, massive summer for him. And I'm going to go to some questions uh, that we've been asked to ask you. So Matt Winton uh, wants to know, what is your single most enjoyable moment as QPR manager so far? I've got to say, the single most, this might sound a bit bizarre, was the first game against Stoke because of the travelling fans and because of the uncertainty. New manager, new squad, all the changes Flo referred to earlier. Um, and to see the team play well and produce a good performance and deserve to win at a Premier League club like Stoke, that for me was the most one of the most pleasing moments, I've got to say. It may sound a bit bizarre with all that's gone on, but I was just really pleased that the fans saw a good performance that day and gave them hope for the season. And there was that, that was the unbelievable Eze goal, wasn't it? That was, yeah, it was. It was also, Flo, it was the Eze goal, but the way they, they popped it out from the back, they played, if you remember, they came back to keeper, East bit into midfield, out to, to Angel, into Jeff Cameron and into Eze. And it was a good team goal. And we worked on that. So I was, I was pleased with it. But as I say, all that uncertainty of the first game, you never know what to expect. Will the boys gel? Will they, will they have nerves in front of a big Stoke crowd? QPR travelling fans were loud on the day, which is great to see and hear. So I was just really pleased it flow. It was a good day. And there's been lots of really good moments, for, obviously, with the club over the last two years. But that was a really pleasing moment. And guess who went to the toilet and missed it? Who's that? You did? <laughs> yeah, went to the toilet and missed Ezzy school. Your timing stinks, Paul. That's all I can say. <laughs> Mark, Are I just wanted to follow up. And... Sorry. Sorry. No, Finney, you go. Ask about Ezzy. Sorry, are you surprised, Mark, that he's now being courted by bigger clubs? No. So-called big clubs. Not at all. I um, take this the right way. I knew I knew he was going to move on. Um, but I, I, I was watching a player every day. A, his character, I'm sure you spoke to him before, but an outstanding, I sound like an old man here, an outstanding young individual. The way he spoke, the way he conducts himself, he conducts himself every day. But every day in training, he would do something that made you, oh, wow. It might just be bringing the ball down. It'd be a left foot strike. It'd be a, 
a quick nutmeg or one, two, and you go, he would always take your breath away every day. And I spoke to Neil Banfield, who worked with a lot of players at Arsenal, and John, obviously, the level he played at. But he was a very, very special talent. I, I have no doubt he could have gone straight into the top six, purely because I just felt that the better the player he worked with, the better he would be. That was my honest opinion. So I'm not, am I surprised by Palace? No, not at all. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that, he's got, that Roy has obviously trusted him early, which is great to see from, from Roy's case. You know, he, he sees a talent, he trusts him to go on in, in, in the Premier League, but not at all surprised by the impact he's had. Who takes your breath away in training these days then, Mark? Yeah, no, I see it. I see some, you'll see, whether it's Steph or Charlie and, you know, the senior guys doing something, or young Ilias or Chrissy Willock, has got a lot of ability. Mm. You know, young George at a frustrating time. We've got a number of players who, who have got loads more to come. Loads more. As I say, Chrissy really excites me. Him playing with Ilias, George coming in. When we played three tens away at Middlesbrough, that excited me. So we've got some good young talents coming through. You know, Sam Field behind did really well. Albert, when he was called on, outstanding. So all over the park, there's some, a good mix. I'm pleased with that blend. And that's why I'm, I'm looking forward. You never tempt him fate. But I think there's a lot more development to come from them. Can I, I wanted to ask, sorry, defensively, just kind of track back a bit. That defensive switch to the back three was such a key to the success in the second half of the season. A, do you wish you'd done it earlier? Obviously, Geordie only arrived in January, so you didn't maybe quite have that option. And also, specifically, Lee Wallace, who spent a lot of his first season with us injured or not getting the starting eleven he has just had an absolute renaissance. So ha- what's been the, the magic behind that? And yeah, do you wish you'd switch to a back three a, a tad earlier? No, that's a great question. I think we, yeah, I was always 4-3-3 and variations of 4-3-3, whether it's two and one in midfield or wide men narrowing up. I've always done that at Brentford right the way through at Rangers, at Forest, and, and always enjoyed, you know, I'm saying success in a non-arrogant way. I enjoyed the teams playing that way. But clearly we were lacking something. You know, we were we exposed defensively. I mean, and whether you put two sitters in front and then it became too negative in terms of playing flow. So, you know, Jeff Cameron stepped in there, first of all, and did a great job for us. And asking Jeff to come out of midfield, I had to make sure I had midfield cover. Tom Cowell coming on board with Don Ball allowed us to move Jeff back. So the balance was right. And that was the opportunity for the three. I think Johan's far better, far more comfortable in the three as well. He was used to that. Uh, and Lee Wallace, uh, you know, I know you guys have in the past made a few comments, quite rightly so, but Lee is a player that I know so well. And he's an outstanding professional, but what a player. When Lee's fit, but he's a player that needs to play regularly. You know, you hear players say they need to get in the rhythm of a game. Lee needs to play games, but he's an outstanding professional. And if you've seen the games he's played, the old firm games he's been involved in, internationals for Scotland and the level he played at, Flo, I'm just delighted that he showed the QPR fan base what I always knew is there. You know, he, he really has finished since Christmas outstandingly well. I think one of the best left wing backs in the division, if not the best. So I'm really, really hopeful that he'll show that again for us next season. Um, I was just going to say, we've talked about the players um, that we want to keep, <clears throat> as in the lone players. Is there any danger of, of, of any of our other guys moving on, you know, to, 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 to maybe fund them? Do you think, you know, because obviously we've had some great performers this season. Chris, I think, I think fans, I know managers say this and they're probably taken a bit lightly, but I think the fans have got to be reassured that the ball will only let a player go if it represents outstanding value for QPR. You know, everyone's got a price. You know, if a player's worth, I don't know, five million and a 15 million pound bid comes in, what business would turn that down? So all, all I'll say is I think the owners have got the best interest of the club at heart. Absolutely. They've done a great job in, in turning around and, and um, setting the finances of the club and be in a far healthier position. Uh, and as I say, I think I hope very much we can keep the squad together because I also think that the players will benefit for another year in the Championship. The likes of Ilias, the likes of Chrissy and George and these players will absolutely benefit from another year at QPR. Hey, just one more thing I wanted to just ask. Um, what I've been most impressed with in, in a very impressive, certainly second half of the season, is the way... We've kept going, like we've like essentially with five games to go, we weren't going up, we weren't going down, we're pretty much safe, and yet we've won four out of those five games. When normally you expect clubs to to use the old cliche, be on the beach. So that just shows me what a great team spirit and what a, a willingness to do well there is. And Chris, I've got to tell you, nothing pees me off more than when I hear people. I think someone on Sky, we played Middlesbrough, and the Sky commentator referred to. The, this is the epitome of mid-table mediocrity or obscurity. 
and I was I wanted to go and find uh, find out where he was. I can't do any more disrespectful than that because they're professionals putting a shirt on, and and that was never going to be the case. Someone said to me, "Oh, you can, you know, try this and try." No, no, no. We've got a responsibility to finish as hard as we possibly can, and you can't build a winning mentality and say, "Don't worry about today." That's nonsense. So the players again, focus was superb. They, they, they applied themselves really well and they deserved to win as well. To go to Swansea, to go to Middlesbrough, these type of games, to go to Stoke, these were tough trips and they've gone there and deserved to win. So again, you know, big credit to the players. Yeah, it's brilliant. Definitely a better ending than line of duty anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't start me on that one either. <laughs> um, Mark, I wanted to ask you about Senny Deng, who we haven't mentioned yet. Um, and I always think the decision to bring him in was a remarkable one. And, and if I can say it, a brave one, because usually with a goalkeeper, if you're not quite sure or, or you decide to rest the number one goalkeeper, you go to the number two goalkeeper. But you went to the number three goalkeeper. And this was a guy who had been at the club for several years and hadn't got a look in. What did you see in him that the managers before you didn't? I think when we ask a player to go out and loan, David, to go out and, and, and to keep his development path going, he went to Doncaster, was outstanding. I think his data was probably the highest out of all the league goalkeepers. His distribution, which is a big part of how we play, was excellent. His shot stopping, his, everything about his data was, was through the roof. And he came back and he was hungry. And he came in my office and I was all the keepers. Liam's an outstanding individual and keeper and Joe Lummy the same. I think so much the pair of them. But Senny sat there with a real confidence. He exuded confidence. I'm ready now to play. And I just thought the time was right. I thought it was the right thing to do. No being really clever as a manager, far from it. it was just, just the impression that he gave me. They were all three were training so well, so hard for Gavin and Herbs to, to tell me who were the best. They're all training outstandingly well. But Senny just had that air of confidence that you need in your keeper. I think we've seen that in terms of the way he's come for the balls and dominate his area and, and given a real reassurance to the back to back unit. So it was no more than just my, my, my gut feeling. And will we be able to hang on to him? I think it's the same as any player. If, if Senny Dien goes, it's at the right price for QPR. You know, if, if a club goes in and goes, here's 20 million quid for a player, you're not going to turn around and say no. And that's just, you know, you've got to look after it from a astute business sense. But I think, again, Senny, like the Ilias and Chrissy and George and these boys, I just think he'll benefit. He's had a really good season with QPR. He's got his, uh, everyone's very aware of his quality and his consistency. I think if they see that, that repeated in season 21-22, then it'd be in a really good place. Uh, I've got a question here from Josh Banks about away wins. Eight away wins this season. Uh, which is remarkable, particularly in the context of recent history for QPR. Have the players benefited away from home without the fans being there? Perhaps less pressure means they can play their football with less fear. That works both ways in terms of the opposition coming to, to our stadium as well. So I think no, I think that that's a separate conversation. It's own right about the stadiums and the lack of fans. But no, I just think they've been brave. They've gone to these places, and we spoke about the belief. Having a belief to go to Bristol City and know you're good enough to go and perform and win. Go to Swansea, go and play your football, go toe-to-toe and win. Don't go there and try and nick a point. So that, that mindset, that self-belief has been really a, a big part of a certain second half of the season. And that's where the senior players, where Lee and Albert, Steph and Charlie and these guys, obviously Jeff before he left, came in. They, they really helped the players and built that belief up. So no, I don't think the crowds in that respect are honesty. I just think the self-belief has really improved. Do you think the, um, because I mean, obviously football should be played in front of crowds. Everyone's itching to get back. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's obviously a few games this season where the 12th man might have got us over the line. But to, to follow on from, from David's point, I mean, at the, the period where Lyndon Dykes couldn't buy a goal, for instance, the period where you were under a bit of pressure because we weren't doing very well, um, that could have been made a lot worse with fans. And I know 90% of the fans aren't, but you will always get those little murmurings in the crowd. Oh, no, this is absolutely... I'll ask you a question. Because someone said to me, the Millwall game, when we won 3-2, they said to me, what a fantastic game that the supporters would have been rocking tonight. But how would they have been at half-time? When it was, yeah. we were 2-0 down, and in, in truth, we could have been 3 down easily. And you wonder how the players would have reacted. Because it would have been a you know, hail of booze come down. Quite rightly, we were poor in the first half. Uh, and you wonder how players react to that. So, yes, it was a great turnaround and a really good second half. And 
you know, great, your fans enjoy it on TV. But as you say, fans express it differently when they're live at the stadium there. So I wonder how that might have uh, changed that outcome. I think in that context, because of where we were and how well, well we were playing, I think people would take that on the, on the chin. You know, I think if that had come, you know, like three or four months ago, it might have been a different story. But yeah, I mean, I, I, for me personally, I think that the fans, the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. And, and for the footballers themselves, I mean, all these guys who, who, who no one's actually seen them play or, or not, you know, apart from those two games. Um, and it'd be great to hear Lyndon Dykes hear his name ringing out and for all the other boys who've done well this season. Um, that, that was, that's, you know, just a small negative, but I just think sometimes, as you know, you know, when we lost Neil Warnock, you know, it was the fans at MK Dons when we were losing that might had a big part to play. But yeah, anyway, we're all glad you stayed. <laughs> and I, wish, I think the fans, I, I know, as I said to you from years ago, as a kid, as a school kid watching the greatest, the greatest QPR team, that, that, that stadium is old fashioned and they're not they're right on top of the pitch and you can hear everything and the noise is outstanding. And that's, a, that's why you're saying to people like Steph, and you're saying, not Charlie, obviously, but you want the players to experience that. I want Chrissy Willock and Lyndon Macker to really experience it. Geordie, Rob Dickey. This is, this is what Loftus Road Campion Centre is all about. So I hope very much, obviously it may be a staggered return, but when they do get back to a full stadium, it'd be, it'd be a great experience for the players. Mark, um, I know you, in your answer to my previous question, you talked about how you'd always been kind of a very 4-3-3 man. And I was just wondering, how does this season compare in your career professionally? Would you say this has been one of your hardest seasons or where you've learnt the most or pushed yourself creatively in the context of coaching, I guess? I think it's the hardest flow because for obvious reasons in terms of the virus situation, you know, football has provided for society, we know about the game, you know, nearly every night there's a game on. But we've had to play every three days. And, mm. and that type of demand means you're not really getting work done on the training pitch. It's a maintenance programme. You know, they come off the coach at half two in the morning. You get them in and there's ice baths and recovery. You report the following day and you're travelling again. And that type of situation has really demanded of, of, of how we use analysis, how we speak to players in a room one-on-one, how you speak to the unit. We've got a guy called Matt Gardner that's great with the unit meetings, speaking to the individual units in the team about the the, the opposition, you know, the individual they're going to face, for example. So all of this work has had a massive part. So it's challenged you as a, as a manager in terms of how best you allocate your time because players have only got so much absorption time. You can't hit them with, you know, 10 hours of facts and data. So you've got to try and use that time wisely. But also is tested the medical and the sports science in analytics, etc. The whole support network around the first team has been challenged and risen to that challenge. So, yeah, it has been for a variety of reasons, a really tough season. But again, it, it, you speak volumes for, for the staff and for the players and how they've responded because that, that demand was never easy. That mad week of Bodrum, Middlesbrough and Swansea in seven days was ludicrous. But to go and win at Middlesbrough, win at Swansea, again, they've stepped up. So, yeah, really pleased, Flo, for many parts of it. It has been challenging and it, be, it will be nice, I hope, to get back to more of a, a normal fixture schedule next season. Can I just ask one? Um, well, it's not really a question. Is it? Do you know what I was thinking? Everyone, the media love Brentford, right? In this division, Brentford is what everyone holds uh, yeah. the candle to because they had the developed players. But what people don't talk about is that we actually played Brentford off the park twice. Because in the first game, we were dead unlucky. The referee, um, it wasn't glasses he needed, it was eyes. Yeah, yeah, we got the apology for that as well. Which was really, yeah, which hurts even more, Paul. So yeah, you're right. We played well that game, and that was in that run when we couldn't buy a win, and we played well, and you come away with nothing from that game. Was that disheartened at the time, Mark? Because I actually thought that was one of our better performances. I know we lost, but geez, we we really give it to them. We we can see the soft goal from from the German boy in midfield, and then we score a great equaliser, Brighty, and over that great cross, great finish from Linden, and then it's it's a straight sending off. And you reduce, mm. you reduce a ball-playing team down to 10 men and we were more than toe-to-toe with them. They would agree that. That was a shocking decision. You know, he didn't, didn't send him off. He got it completely wrong. And he knows that. And um, we've had all the relevant paperwork, but that doesn't help you. So, but yeah. it does tell you, on the, on the plus side, Paul, it tells you that we can go toe-to-toe. But your point about everyone loves Brentford, obviously with my, my time now, I was there for five years. But what you have to, we have to do better is that media perception. Because you hear, I hear people say, oh, and then they've got Brentford. Well, it used to be five years ago, little old Brentford. Now, mm. as you say, they talk as if they play, you know, with the greatest respect, you're playing one of the, the, the very, very best teams. We've got to get, make sure people are aware of QPR as well. 
I think people see that we can play, that we can hurt them with chances. But the more ruthless and consistent we can be, we've got to build that message because there are West London rivals, but they've done that really well. Good point. Mark, I can't, I, I, a lot of our listeners will want us to ask you about uh, Todd Kane. Yeah. And in particular, the sanction last week from the FA. And a lot of our, uh, probably fair to say, looking on Twitter and talking to people, a lot of our, many of our listeners will be very disappointed in what has come out and very disappointed in in him and 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 what he has admitted saying what have you got to kind of say about that and say to the fans on that i don't want to avoid that question though for obvious reasons i don't want to because it's too important but at the same time the club statement was very good i thought what lee said as ceo well, you know the qpr as a club will never condone uh the use of derogatory statements whether it's ethnicity Racism, whatever, it, we will never condone that. We've, and I, I think QPR, more than any other club in the country, would would never, never tolerate that. But at the same time, I've got to be disappointed that authorities have taken the comments from two of our players and, 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 and highlighted their honesty and forthrightness and yet not use that in the other way. You know, there was a two-way conversation there and I'm not allowed to say much more, but there was a two-way conversation. Um, and as I say, I, I think... While not supporting what uh, Toddy said, I think he's been treated exceptionally harshly. Okay, thank you. I haven't avoided that question, by the way. I, I, no, I, that's no. I'm, not, I'm not supporting anything derogatory, far from it. But I, I admire the fact that he was honest from the app from the get-go. Right the way through, he's been honest. And Rob, so has Rob Dickey. Uh, and that's a quality that you have. You always ask your players to be honest, whatever the situation may be. And let me tell you, those two boys have been honest throughout the process. But maybe that was the problem, though, as well, though, Mark, from what little I know, and I don't know any more than anybody else, but the way it looked to me was that our player admitted saying it and the Brentford player didn't. And that's basically it, in a nutshell. Um, and I can't obviously say anything, Paul, but I wouldn't disagree with you. OK. On a, um, on a positive note uh, about Rob Dickey, well, that was positive, but... Um, Player of the season, a joint players player of the season. Um, I'm not sure any, any of us saw that coming when he signed. I mean, we, you know, we signed a guy from, from League One. I mean, I, I must admit, I didn't know too much about him, but he's been exceptional. No, he has. He stood up, Chris. And, and you look at it and uh, to make that step up, and, and he'll be the first to tell you, you know, he's made huge strides, um, which is easy, I suppose, you're six foot four, but he's made huge strides and um, he's got loads more to come. Loads more to come. You know, he knows that, you know, he, he plays against a very clever centre-forward. So him training against Charlie Austin, for example, helps him every day. The physicality of Lyndon and Macaulay Bond helps him every day. You know, so he, he has done really well for us. The partnership he's formed, obviously, with, with Johan as well. He's played, is it right, nearly every minute of every game, Johan, I think. You know, they've really mm. worked hard together. Um, we've reduced the goal. We've still got to reduce it further, absolutely. But now he's, he's done really well. He's a ball-playing centre-half. I think you've got a lot more. You'll see a lot more from him next season, but he deserves those awards. He's worked hard for them, and they meant a lot to him as well. So they weren't taken lightly. And Do you know what I've noticed as well? Sorry, sorry Chris. Go on, Do you know has annoyed me, Mark, more than anything. Why does centre halves not get justice? Because there's two players that should have been sent off against Dickey, and they weren't. And it, it, if it was the other way round, and Dickey had done them challenges on a striker, he'd have been off. What, yeah. Why does? It, it, uh, maybe I'm being biased I don't know but some of them the challenge the other week was absolutely shocking and yeah, the, he should have walked yeah I think I think we are seeing I don't know if you agree with me or not as supporters we're seeing a, a sea change in the referees I think the really soft one where um, Charlie won't mind me saying this where Charlie very cleverly used his experience and he'll go down and get a quick free kick the referees are not giving those now in all yeah. over the leagues now, those have been the you saw the Fulham game last night against Burnley. Those three kicks aren't being given, and the game's been allowed to flow, which I think is a, is a positive. But you're right; I think you're far more likely, if you're a defender or a defensive midfielder, to be reprimanded and punished for those challenges than the other way around. Is that, we've been we've been the victim of a couple of really bad challenges, as you right. Yeah. And, and going down to ten men against a possession team is a big is a big advantage but it's not been given. And I've been disappointed. We've had too many apologies from authorities, so to speak. You know, the refereeing is all important. I appreciate, we all know how hard their job is, but there's too much to state now, Paul. Mm, I agree. Can I, I, I just wanted to pick up on Johan Barbe, who, like you say, played every minute of every game, which is, that's like a throwback 
to the 80s when you would hear players doing that. And in this, what I want to oh, know... Oh, my kids, the 40s. Exactly. How does that happen in this age of sports science and a really congested and tr- and kind of pushed together season? How on earth does that happen that someone does that? And did you realise he played every minute? And if you had, would you have taken him out of the team and given him a rest? Yeah, and I, I'm not going to... Um... No, no, I wouldn't take them out at all. I think it's all comes down to communication. We meet as a group of staff every morning. You know, eight fifteen, we're, we're meeting at medical, going through the various players. But you, you can you can provide a, a generic approach for some aspects of training and, and the player welfare. But you've got to look after them individually. On this call, five different people that all have different needs. So if a player needs to come out and spend the morning on the bike and have a massage and a nice bath, that's what we do. You know, I think in the past you sit there and go, now he joins in with a squad. If they're running, he can run. No, because everyone's needs and requirements are different. I think we've done that as a as a, as a football department, staff and players. We've done that well this year. I'm a big fan of smaller squads. I like everyone to taste the first team. I, like them to, I don't like the 25, 26. It's too big. Too many players not even getting on the coach. I don't like that at all. So I want to keep it tight. But to do that, you need two things. You need a great support network and you need flexibility of positions, players who can play in two or three different positions. And on top of that, you need a bit of luck as well. But we've been lucky. I think we've earned the luck. But Johan is a player that's communicated. I know him so well. He's communicated well. You know, his desire to perform for the team, his, his recognition of, of what we needed to do to play through the bad time before Christmas and emerge stronger. You know, he's a really top lad. He really, I don't know how well you guys know him, but he's a top character. So, he, you know, he's, he's come through. It's a great achievement, but he wanted to play. You know, he had some days with a knock and niggle. He wanted to play, absolutely. Mark, what you said about Brentford, I think it really resonates because I think English football in general, and I I say this specifically about the men's and women's England uh, national team, I think there isn't enough of a kind of arrogance and a winner's mentality to it. And in the championship at the moment, we have a really strong middle group of teams on really low budgets, Millwall, Barnsley, ourselves, Luton, who are punching well above their weight. So looking ahead to next season, how do we move ourselves and our mentality from just plodding along, which we have had to do because of budgets, to actually pushing on to something bigger? Now, Flo, I think it's a really good question because um, the best way is to win. That's the obvious one. The best way is to win. So you look at Reading this season, they came out the blocks flying. I think was it six wins out of six or... In 19 points out of 21 or something, they were flying at the start. So that winning side of it gives you so much belief and mentality is strong. But I think we've got to do a better job as a club all round. Our performances, of course, um, our ruthlessness in both boxes, we've got to make more of it in the media. Because you go now and you look at it and you say, oh, they've got six games to come and oh, they've got Brentford in game four. And I'm not saying that in a rude way. I'm, I'm remarking on the fact that Brentford have built that up over the last four, five, six years. Uh, and when we went up there from League One, we were favourites relegation. You know, it wasn't until Christmas we were second. They realised we were good. But they've done a really good media work and the team and the supports. We've got to do the same at QPR. We've got to make teams think, oh, God, we're playing QPR. You know, we may have bigger budgets, but they're going to create X number of chances. Don't give them a chance because they hurt you. Once you have that mentality, teams lose a little bit of belief when we arrive on the front foot. And that's not an arrogance flow. That's just we've got to have that turn up expecting to win knowing what we've got to do to win. Now we've got to work our socks off to win. But this, if we do A, B and C, we're going to win this game of football. And if we do that, I think we've been... I don't think we were far away in the last few weeks. I think going to Middlesbrough, you smelt it. Bristol City, you scored two early goals, never looked threatened against a good team in a tough venue. So that type of belief flow is really important to us. But the best way is to win games of football early. But in this division, you're going to have 24 teams on August 7th next year, all expect to be in the playoffs. That's weird as well. Does it does it make you feel a bit uneasy that we're going to have so many local derbies next season? Obviously, we'll be playing Brentford again, and then with Fulham coming down, um, any Brentford fans listening? To me, um, you know, it, it's going to be tight next season as well, isn't it? You, and you look at the three teams coming down; they're, they're no mugs. So it's this division just keeps churning hard this others, doesn't it? And it keeps making you work for your place. It does. And you look at the clubs, Paul. Look at the clubs like Forest. Obviously, I know the club well. Chris, yeah. Enormous respect for Chris and his quality and the experience. Look at the size of the budgets. You look at Huddersfield. 
you look at Sheffield Wednesday gone down, Derby stay up at the moment anyway. And you look at you look at the size of the budgets and the clubs. These are big clubs. Birmingham City, mm. big clubs. Blackburn Rovers, big clubs. You know, big players. They got look at Armstrong and, the, and their squad. And you go, they're tough. You know, they were. You, you go back before Christmas when we played them and we lost two or three one to them, and they were sixth, I think, fifth. Sixth, yeah, fifth, so, yeah. Had a great start. But it's just a long season, a demanding season. But I know when the season starts next year, we're going to have, there's, there's some really big clubs in that division. You know, obviously three, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield, goes without saying their parachute payments, there are budgets to, to blow anyone else out of the water. But then there's some big, I think there's another six or seven clubs behind them who will have very sizable numbers to, to work with. And we've got to recognise that. But keeping the squad together, Barnsley have showed what you can do by keeping Woodrow and Chaplin and Mowat and Solbauer and keeping a, the Corbier squad together, they're in a really good place. They deserve to be where they are in a playoffs, Paul, undoubtedly. So we've got to really recognise that. Sorry, Mark, but does it worry you that we're, we're, we're sleepwalking into a, a scenario where the three same teams swap places every season, oh, you know, with the parachute money and the way that the Premiership is so far ahead financially? Because it worries me, I'll be honest, because I'm kind of seeing a Scotland scenario where the same teams are going to go up, the same teams are going to come down. Yeah, I, I can see your concern, but I think English football, the way of the, the championship especially, will always throw something up. Um, teams get relegated. Uh, the, the, the old owner always told me they, they overestimate the relegated teams, underestimate the promoted teams. So teams coming down have pay cuts and job losses and changes and personnel changes, and they've got to deal with that. And they can't, you know, all credit to Norwich to deal with that and bounce back in their manner, deserve a lot of credit but they kept that squad together. Now, if I'm right, you might tell me I'm wrong here, but they think they had the lowest points total in the Premier League when they came down, lowest investment, but then they kept the squad together. They bounced straight back and would be better prepared this time around. You know, but it's a big ask to come down. There's some big games and we've shown, I mean, Watford was struggling. They got through in the end on a great run over the last eight, nine games, but they were, not, they were certainly not favourites, Paul. So this division's tough. I think you probably got you know one. There'll be one big budget will be tough to beat and right up there, but the rest will be up for grabs. Mark, well, time's nearly up, and we know we've got to let you go. I wanted to finish on a, a sort of lighter question, which and I always find speaking to you fascinating because, as is well publicised, you um, had a previous career in the city, and uh, and Paul Stokes asks, as someone who's worked both in in and out of football. What's the biggest misconception non-footballing people have of the game? And I'm going to put a part B on that, which is, have you got any cryptocurrency tips? <laughs> yeah, don't touch them is a tip, that one. Um, no, I think, I think this, I hope this comes across right. I've got my, my, my daughter's partner will sit in front of the TV and go, what are you doing? Just give it to him. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And I think they don't understand the level. I don't mean that in a, in a, in a naive way. I'm saying that the, the footballers these days, certainly Premier League, Championship, they are fit athletes, professional athletes, and they're so strong and they're so quick and the game is getting ever faster and more technical. And I just think it's that misunderstanding of, of the level. And I don't mean that, and as I say, in any derogatory, because football fans play the game, understand the game, they know a good pass, they know a, a poor touch, they get all of that. But it's just the level is so very high. And I hear so many people say, why didn't he just give it there? Why didn't he just do that? And it's easy when you sit on your sofa with a, with a nice cold beer in your hand. But I'm saying that the level is so tough. And that's the one thing. I see this all the, all the city mates talk about football. And they all love it. They all played non-league. and they all, But they don't understand that jump up. Now, I could deal with that. I could train with that level. They'd be a million miles away if they tried to even train near the group. But it's just that understanding because these guys are working hard every day so I, I hope that doesn't come across wrong but that's the one thing that would would strike me that if they actually came and watched them work and saw the data and how hard they run and high speed running and total distances all this they go it's a different level can I, can I ask some advice Mark it's nothing to do with the city or trading I'm at an age now where I've been asked to join a walking football team <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and you've had problems with your knees yourself Mark haven't you yeah. Now, if we do manage to join this walking football team, I don't know what you think, and it's the QPR one, will you He's come down and give... He's not going to play for your team, Vinny. He's not going to no, play No, no, listen, you. you don't know. You don't know. Can you come down and give us a good team talk one day? Oh, I'd love to. I promise you I would do that. If the schedule allows, 
I promise you I'll come down. You're a good man, Mark. And do you think I should join one? Absolutely. But uh, you may need to work on your pace, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Mark, yeah. I wanted to ask you, the last guest we had on this podcast a week ago was Lyndon Dykes. Yeah. And we suggested to him that he dyes hair blue. And then he did. <laughs> and he had a very... Yeah, he had a very successful week after he did it. So what are we thinking for you, Mark? That's what I want to know. You're limited in options, unfortunately, for me. But he came back, if you remember, he was normal for about a week, I think. I'm saying normal, normal cut, normal natural colour. Then he went bleach. Then he then he cut into like a Mohican-type bleach. And then he turned up, David, blue. It wasn't QPR blue or Scotland blue. It was just some bizarre blue. So if it's your fault, then I know exactly where the blame lies. <laughs> uh, it was more like Marge Simpson, wasn't it, Mark? It yeah, was. Yeah, it was. But if you look in the Livingston pictures, Paul, he's had the multicolour rainbow as well. He's done the lot. He's done the red, yellow, pink, green, the whole lot. So he's got, he's got some balls to do it. Um, but apparently... He's, he's got the hair. He's got, yeah, he's got the hair, of course. I can't... But I think his good lady actively encouraged him as well. So he's got support at home. I would get torrents of abuse if I tried that for <laughs> So if we... When we win the FA Cup next season, Mark, are you planning anything spectacular yourself? Hair-wise? Yes. Well, I'd love to have some options, Paul, but unfortunately, <laughs> not a great deal that I could really do. I could try and go a bit, which would be a resounding <laughs> failure, Paul. But other than that, I am fairly limited. But you do see these dark players, don't you? They've all got multicolored Mohicans and stuff, and they haven't got that much hair, if I'm being honest, Mark. So I thought you asked me to come down and help you the team talk, Paul. Yeah. yeah. It's talking, not looking good, is it? It's not looking good right now, Paul. Not down this road, no, but no. Oh, oh let Mark go. He's got to go on another... Yeah, we've got to let you go, because I think you've got another another call in a couple yeah. of minutes. So, and Mark, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And it, it, as I say, we cut it short. But if you want to do it again any time, it'd be a pleasure to come on and chat to you. Before you go, Mark, have you got a message for QPR fans for next season? Uh, yeah, I think, I, I hope very much, I don't want to sound like an old man saying this, Paul, I hope very much you can leave the stadium after the games and have enjoyed the day out. There'll be good days, not so good days. If we can play some good football that entertains, uh, that's, what, that's a resounding memory from that team of 76 I remember mm. that the fans loved the football. I was a young kid. I was God, I was awesome. You know, look at these players. But I remember the level of football and the fans recognise it. If we can do that as a squad and the fans enjoy it, then we'll be in a good place. Well said. Nice one, Mark, Mark, thank you very much. Nice Great talking to you. Thanks, Mark. No, really, um, appreciate it. really appreciate it. And this, the only other thing I would say, if I'm allowed to, David, quickly is, if there's a bad time or a question that comes up, ask. I know Flo will through the media, but ask us. Because sometimes I read some, some nonsense, who we're signing, you know, this, why do they do this? Ask the question. So that's the, that's the best thing. I said to Paul, I encourage the communication, David. So I'd have no problem on a five-minute phone call, ten-minute phone call, answer any, any question that might be bugging you. We can do it during the walking football team talk. Yeah, we could, we could do. That could be a long team tour, that one, Paul. But, uh, but no, but, but ask away. That's always the best way. It clears it up really quickly and avoids all nice the nonsense on the media channels. Thanks, Thanks nice very much, Mark. Cheers, have a good man. evening. Nice take care, have a good summer. Have a good summer. And you, take it easy. Good luck with that walking Cheers. league, Paul. <laughs> See you later. Cheers. Cheers. And that concludes the first part of our last two podcasts of the season um so we'll i guess we will probably have a chat about what we've just heard on that second episode that's going to follow if you're listening to this that second episode will follow in a few days time where we'll sort of wrap up the season we're also going to be joined uh, the four of us will be joined by clive from loft words as well thank you very much for listening to this part one of the two-part end of series podcast this has been open all ours QPR, Rangers are on the up and up. QPR, QPR.